come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The podcast from outer space. Oh my God. Welcome back, everybody. It's a podcast from outer space. It's your boy, Rob Scott. We got T-Bag, a.k.a. Adam Narlock, in the studio. Hey, guys. Not a scientist. And as always, it's Ryan Scott. A coup de gras, ladies and gentlemen. And we are here for episode 94, where we'll be discussing morphic resonance, everybody. Yes, and just before we get into today's episode, a couple things. So, one... Our very own teabag, belated happy birthday to him. Uh, you know, we were supposed to record last week, had some technical difficulties, getting it out there. The young guy. Uh, yeah, so belated birthday to our very own Polish professor. <laughs> He's still single and looking, guys. Or girls. Girls, girls. Either way. <laughs> 2021, right? Yeah, so, uh, and next up, so get this, you know, before we get to today's topic at hand, what was our last episode? Do we remember? Can we even think back that long? That long? It's only a month ago. <laughs> 27 Club. We have a new addition. Uh, remember we said on the club, we said, hey, RIP. who's going to you know, who's gonna be the next member? And if this maybe even counts, we're getting into the pornographic realm with oh, Dakota yeah. Sky. Does that count? Dead at the age of 27. I mean, no disrespect to the actress. But I mean, does that count? that's a star. That's a celebrity. It's a celebrity in okay. some people's eyes. Okay. Heart of a damn lion. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so Dakota Sky, RIP to the late newest addition to the 27 Clubs. Tragedy, uh, mm. you know, a Greek tragedy, they call it, right? I don't think that's what they call it, but <laughs> you can call it's it a, that. Uh, but yes, let's get on. Now, I want to start today's um, episode with a couple questions for you guys. And maybe, you know, we can do this long form answers, rapid fire, whatever you guys want. Pop quiz. And I want our listeners to think about these questions too. You know, this is something to keep in mind. Now, have you ever thought of a friend you haven't heard from in a long time and they call you that day? Maybe a friend, a relative, you th- you're thinking about them and then boom, you get a call from them, a text from them? Teabag? False. Next question. False. You've never had this happen? No. All right, neither These aren't of you? true false questions, but yes, I've had this happen to me. Okay. You ever got the feeling that somebody's watching you? Always. Always. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, have you ever simply stared at someone? It's a little weird. Only to have them turn around or wake up knowing they were being watched? So you're asking, do I stare at people while they sleep? That's a no for me. Well, that's just one. That's one specific instance. Yeah. Like when I was in middle school, I used to stare at a girl who was on the bus in front of me and she noticed. And then you would do the like, uh, super bad move. Yeah, the super bad where you just kind of glance at the (laughs) clock. (laughs) Hey, it worked out. A year later, she was smitten with me. All right, all right. Um, Now, have you ever experienced deja vu? I have. Right now. Okay. Uh, Do you believe in reincarnation? I like the idea of it. I don't know if I fully believe it, though. T-Bag? Yeah, I agree with Rob. Okay. Do you have a soul? Yes, but I'm not a soldier. Sold mine for rock and roll. And is it worth saving? <laughs> I believe so. to save me. <laughs> okay, okay, so 
This is the type of shit we're going to get into on today's episode. You know, we got, uh, this is a theory, you know, we're getting into this theory known as morphic resonance. Now, for all you non-scientists out there, uh, this is the idea put forth by Rupert Sheldrake. And it's essentially a theory of a mysterious telepathic type interconnectedness between organisms, uh, collected memories within species, which could account for phenomena such as phantom limbs, how dogs seem to know when their masters are coming home. Masters. And <laughs> yeah, Jesus. How dogs <laughs> seem to know when their owners are coming home and how people know when somebody is staring at them. Phantom limbs. Can we go back to that for a second? Yeah, you never heard of this? Honestly, you know, I just saw this in there. It must be something where people have phantom limbs. I don't know. I Like, you ever get a phantom vibration and you think your phone vibrated, but it didn't? Yes. Yeah. Maybe that's similar. I mean, I didn't look deep, too deep into phantom limbs. Is this like them girls that tuck or, or them dudes that tuck or? No. I don't think so, dude. That's a, t- that's a different thing. You're thinking of phantom hogs. <laughs> now, now let's just okay now let's preface For some this. people that is a limb uh, yeah, well, let's, pre- let's preface this let's preface this because you know we obviously get that people spend their entire lives studying this stuff and we aren't scientists we aren't biologists we aren't geneticists uh we aren't we aren't even telepathic you know i feel like people aren't getting this we might be we aren't experts in this field um but this episode this episode <clears throat> is going to get into all of that stuff so i will say don't take our word for it as we are just here to kind of lay out what we've come together in an episode that you hopefully find interesting you know am i am i, am I off base here we lay it out for you to play it out yeah it's like Obviously, we probably missed some stuff. Obviously. Um, and doesn't science mean like knowledge or something like that? Scientia or something like that. Does it? <laughs> well, that's what I'm asking. If so, I'm going to go ahead and say we aren't scientists, but we are possible amateur knowledgeists. I mean, mm-hmm. I was listening to our fucking boy, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the other day, and he was stating how... If you think about how many times science is wrong before it's right, so is it really that knowledgeable? But it's the sci- The word science actually means knowledge in like Greece or something like that, right? <laughs> Greece? What are you speaking, Greece or something? <laughs> uh, is it like a? I'm pretty sure that's correct. I'm pretty sure that's accurate. But I'm just saying, you know, we're not scientists. We're not uh, Shill deGrasse Tyson. But we are shill. dumbasses. <laughs> yeah, guys, the shell. Uh, maybe we can get into it wow, later, dude. Hey, I'm Not just saying fire. we can Tearing get into it later. Yes. And I'm going to be honest. There's a lot to unpack here. And, you know, maybe we're on to something. Maybe we aren't. Maybe this is the future of science here or it's just a colossal waste of our time. Uh, we'll Could let you both. we'll let you, the listeners, be the judge. Now, I will say, have you guys ever heard of this theory, morphic resonance before researching this one? Uh, I've heard of it, yes, but I didn't really ever look into what it was until you sent us this outline. Okay, so you just heard the term, maybe. Yes. Never heard of it. Okay. Now, T-Bag, big video game guy, have you ever played 999 or like Zero Escape? I've never heard of either. What Do you know what system they're on? I believe they're on Nintendo Switch. Uh, Ooh, I, I'm, I think they like 
like Z- Zero Escape, I guess, is the overall series. There's many different games in it, 999 being one of them. But I think they came out on, I mean, Nintendo for sure. They might have come out older, but I believe I saw that some of them were on Switch. I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, apparently, because again, this is another Reddit episode. I spent a lot of time on some subreddits for this one. And apparently a lot of this has to do with those games. There's a lot of these ideas within those games. Uh, it's like one of those story games, you know, like um, what's that one? that's like Zelda. Uh, it's maybe kind of, but it's like, um, like, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Like move. It's like a movie, but a game. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like Chris it. used to play the real emo one, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, dude? Dude, why can't oh. I remember the name of that one was actually pretty sick. Last of Us or something? Yes. Oh yeah, it's it's like Last of Us. That's what you're saying. I guess you know it's it's like a a game that's like a immersive story. All right, I'm gonna check them out. Yeah. Now, if now you had, you, did you come across any scholars in these subreddits? I did. A lot of scholars. Uh, a lot of amateur scholars. Now. If you never heard of this, don't worry because this stuff is what's known as a fringe theory. And that's how I got into this whole thing because I'm thinking fringe science. Uh, Isn't that just science that isn't mainstream yet? You know, am I right in that? Like hipster science. Mm, Sort of, yeah. Science that hasn't been proven yet. Yeah, you know, it's like the always sunny bit where Max shows the pattern of like Aristotle, Galileo, and Isaac Newton all becoming bitches because their stuff is proven wrong sometimes. You know know the episode? Yes. And with that in mind, I want to preface this episode with a little something for you guys to munch on, you know? A little food for thought before we get into today's topic at hand. Now, we've all had ideas. You know, some good like Coca-Cola, some not so good like New Coke. Am I right? Never tried the original recipe, so can't be the judge of that. Those Coca-Cola guys are bitches, right? Am I right? Now, what do you guys think is like the best idea you've ever had? And more specifically, like when you were kids and you really didn't know kind of how the world worked and you thought like, dude, what? Like for me, I'm going to say this. And this is a total bonehead move. I'm, I was a stooge as a kid because I thought, like, I didn't understand exchange rates of currency. Like, you know how uh, the yen isn't, like, equal to the American dollar? So I just thought, why, don't you ju- why doesn't everybody just move to China and they'd be millionaires? Oh, that is a good idea. Good question. <laughs> not a good idea. It's, it's not a good idea. <laughs> Were you also familiar with uh, communism and how that works? (laughs) Okay. China's just an example of exchange rates. But uh, like what? the best idea you ever had (laughs) is transferring all your dollars to yen. (laughs) No, I'm saying like. So you could be a millionaire No, I'm saying like ideas that you thought were good at the time, but then realized like, oh, I'm an idiot. Like, did you ever have, or, or even if you still think you have a brilliant idea that maybe you think nobody ever had before, what do we got for you guys? That's like every idea I've ever had. Sounds good at the time. Example, like, dude. Oh. We should have had Roman on here. Great idea, guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> example, dude. Give us an example, T-Bag. I don't, I don't know if I have a best idea. I can tell you the worst idea I've ever had. All right. What do we got there? What's that? Also the best idea. No, it's. I mean, yeah, I guess it falls in the line because we were drunk and we were like, wouldn't it be super funny if we pissed in a cat box? And in a moment, it was funny, but then the next morning, it was not. 
And Steve, if you're listening, I'm super sorry for pissing in your cat box. I think that's the worst thing I've ever done. That's okay. the best <laughs> idea you ever had? <laughs> no, you said worse. I'm saying, okay, I think you guys are missing the question here. I'm saying like philosophical ideas. Like you thought it was an original thought. Have you guys ever had original thoughts? <laughs> 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 like, you know, like to me, it doesn't even have to be philosophy. Even, you know, it could be anything, but... I'm not like, you know, this was just a dumb idea. Uh, like something you thought was so brilliant, but turns out it wasn't. Like my brilliant exchange rate idea. We got nothing. I never really had a great philosophical idea. Okay. Yeah. We've done some cool shit, though. So, all right, so it's no secret, guys. You know, I think me, you guys included, we're not geniuses per mm. se. Uh, Speak for yourself. Per se. <laughs> uh, but I think we can all we can all have some empathy for these guys that may in history that may have had brilliant new ideas and everybody else just writes them off as an idiot. Like our boy Nikola Tesla. You remember this episode, right? I do. I mean, you know, God only knows exactly how many brilliant ideas have been struck down in their prime because they go against the status quo. You know, maybe they aren't mainstream, maybe they aren't the norm. <laughs> you know what I'm maybe I never slept with a woman. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, you thought my he had my scientist derriere ass replaced with somebody who isn't camera friendly or, or somebody who doesn't <laughs> frighten children. You know? Someone that doesn't <laughs> pop there's <laughs> the compass yeah, they used yeah, in high school. Yeah, so so you know, let's kick this one off by taking a look at a few scientists whose ideas became widely accepted only years after they were dead. Now, first up, we've got Alfred Wegener. Uh, now, he proposed that the Earth's continents moved very slowly. And so over millions of years, they would move a long distance. Now, between 1912 and 1929, he published fossil and rock evidence to support his theory. And this theory of continental drift was rejected by most other scientists during his lifetime. Now, he tragically died in 1930, and it wasn't until the 1960s that continental drift finally became a part of mainstream science. Hmm. Any thoughts there? Okay. Now, next up. <laughs> now, next up, and this one is particularly fucked up. So, we got Ignaz Semmelweis. Now, in 1847, he was a doctor in Vienna, Austria, specializing in childbirth. Uh, now, he makes some notes, even publishes evidence that when doctors wash their hands before examining or treating patients, the mortality rate for women was reduced quite significantly. Mm. Now, before this in his hospital, doctors routinely examined diseased corpses in the mortuary, and then they attended to women in childbirth without even washing their hands. Perfect. <laughs> now, in some months, as many as a third of the women in the birthing part of the hospital were dying. Hmm. That's a mystery, huh? Uh, now... <laughs> Now, our pal here, he, he couldn't explain why hand washing was, affected because, was effective uh, because at this time, you know, germs were pretty much a fringe theory. 
You know, it's the 1800s. They don't know. They're like, what? Germs? Germs? Little invisible Mm, microscopic things. Yeah. uh, You're kidding me, dude. Uh, So he can't explain it, but he just knows that it worked and that patients were no longer, they didn't catch fevers or other diseases. They weren't dying at the same rate. Uh, Now, this simple task cut death rates in his own hospital, uh, but his attempts to spread the word failed. As a result, many people died because doctors would not even wash their hands. That's disgusting. Uh, Guys, you got to trust me on this one. There's little things on your hands. If you just wash them, (laughs) it'll go right away. (laughs) Yes. Now, now in 1865, Semmelweis had become clinically depressed when his work was rejected and he started behaving quote unquote oddly. Uh, He was tricked by another doctor into an insane asylum and upon realizing this ruse, he tried to get out, but he was held by the guards who placed him in a straitjacket and beat the living piss out of him. He died two weeks later from the injuries sustained during this beating. Now, do you think those guys washed their hands between beatings? Probably not. Uh, that's probably why he died. That's now his they were probably <laughs> beaten off before they beat him up. Now his hospital goes back to running properly. Uh, they discarded this crazy conspiracy about germs and mortality rates increased by a factor of six, but nobody gave a fuck. Now it wasn't until the 1890s that germs became widely accepted. That's crazy to me. Accepted? <laughs> yeah, in mainstream science. The theory of germs? The theory of germs. Uh, and finally... Now we got Aristarchus. Uh, he was born in 310 BC in ancient Greece. Uh, he believed the solar system was heliocentric. Now, do you guys know that term for you non-scientists out there? Like a globe? The earth revolves around the sun. Helios, sun. <laughs> Just like a globe, though. Uh, now, nobody believes it. Circular motion. Nobody believes this guy. 1,800 years after him in 1514. you crazy for that one. Nicholas Copernicus also tried to get this idea to catch on. Another Polish scientist. Nobody believed him. Now, many years later, ni- or 1596, Johannes Kepler also believed the solar system was heliocentric. Mm. And what do we think happened? What did people think? Nobody believed. They thought the earth was the center. Mm. Uh, Now, all these scientists could not convince many other people that they were right. The idea of a sun-centered solar system was highly controversial. Now, granted, this is much because of like religious beliefs. You know, religion had a strong hold on humanity at that time. uh, And going against that was uh, sacrilege, right? Don't know. Uh, but this was largely ignored in all these gentlemen's lifetimes, and decades later, Kepler's work was the platform from which Isaac Newton discovered his law of universal gravitation. So not one, but three respected men of scientists in their day are out here preaching this fringe theory that the sun is the center of the universe, and nobody gives a shit. And, you know, granted, this is just a few quick examples, but nonetheless, this is what we need to keep in mind as we press on in today's pursuit of knowledge to better understand the world and our place within it. That sounds like a pretty good slogan. We should copyright that, trademark that. Sounds like the slogan for science. Yeah, that's well, that's no, that's not the slogan for science, dude. Science, as we'll see, is dogmatic. Science is very dogmatic, and we're this is our slogan. I'm with T-Bag. You know, we are pressing on. Science means knowledge. 
in case you didn't know <laughs> it, does, it does translate to knowledge. <laughs> but uh, that's the uh, that's their slogan. Yeah, but as we'll find out, very dogmatic. Now, I mean, these science guys—they're—they're they're constantly trying to prove each other wrong. You know, that's science. Uh, so let's see if we can't blow the fucking lid off mainstream science with some of these fringe ideas. And, and after we die, everyone will believe us. Yeah, and you know, maybe we'll start covering more fringe <laughs> topics. You know, let us know if you want to hear more fringe science topics because I'm thinking we can start covering these, get them to catch on. You know, I mean, we're already big crystal guys. Uh, Rob, hey. he's Rob. Basically, we discovered he can pretty much remote view. Basically, yeah. You know, check out our crystal skull episode and our remote viewing episode, and what. Wasn't it one of those episodes where we were just going the list of like pseudoscience and we were like, that's like everything we talk about. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, this topic is pretty much as fringe as those, but maybe not as fringe, but definitely in the same realm. Or is it? As we'll come together. Uh, well, also, keep in mind, we're not scientists. We're just dumbass podcasts. Okay. Maybe maybe we're pseudoscientists. Oh, see? Yeah, we might be pseudoscientists. Because what is even we the... might be. What's the difference between fringe and pseudoscience? Do we know this? Oh, good. This is good. Because <laughs> I, as I've come together... So fringe science is like... It's science that relies on old ideals. Uh, or it's science that's just like pretty speculative. You mm. know? Like maybe they don't have the ways to prove it yet. So it's just, it's, you know, it's out there on the fringes. As so fringe is a little bit more realistic then. I would say, yes. Yeah, pseudoscience is like beliefs or practices that are, <clears throat> you're like marketing it as real science, but it's not. Like everyone that's like, I'm with science. <laughs> oh, what are you, <laughs> what? Have you ever watched the news? <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't know if that's pseudoscience. That's yes, like, it is. No, 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 no. The no, way no, that no. it's marketed is what I'm okay, saying. Okay, but that's more propaganda. Because you're saying you believe in science no, when the oh. when the bullshit that they're talking about is not necessarily science. It's beliefs, not science. Well, there no, like you're talking about vaccines, right? He's with science, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you're backing these people up right now no i'm not backing these people up i'm saying that that is like there is an entire category of like vaccine obviously like vaccines work polio is not is eradicated no i get what you're saying like you're saying in today's climate like the paul rudd video where he's just like wear a mask science dude and it's like like you can't just say science and then like (laughs) that's what i'm saying okay but again that's more (laughs) propaganda pseudoscience would be like like a snake oil salesman kind of like joe rogan saying like alpha brain nootropics alpha flow peak state and like passing it off as like actual science yeah because it's not, there's no real basis okay. for this. That, stuff. Was, that was my connect. That was my connection. Like them diet pills, and then they say like these claims are not based on the FDA or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, diet pills, protein, um, you know, anything that says like that is pretty much pseudoscience. I mean, not not like not like all protein. It's just like stuff that's packaged and marketed with like some jacked guy that's just juicing. And then it's like, take this protein and you're going to get like that. That would, I, I would think would kind of be pseudoscience. Crystals, also pseudoscience, as we found out. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> there is no That's fringe. Fringe, fringe <laughs> no, science. No, no, that is not fringe. That is absolutely <laughs> pseudoscience. Um, 
But yeah, I mean that like pseudo pseudoscience is like trying to pass off as science. It's like uh, saying something science when it's not. Like a perfect example would be Scientology. Clearing yourself, you know, all the language that like L. Ron Hubbard developed of like OT this going clear, you know, the fucking we're old souls that are trying to get clear and then fucking go to the Zelda's reticuli with the fucking that's pseudoscience. But they put science in the name, so it's cool. Yes, exactly. Like they're trying to pass it off as actual science when he mm. came out with it in the 50s, you know? Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Now, I'm with science. <clears throat> Okay. Okay. We know you're with science, Bubba. Uh, so let's get into the history of this theory because this goes back a bit further than Sheldrake's morphic resonance theory uh, with what is known as morphogenesis. Any relation to the Sega Genesis? I do not believe this is many moons before Sega Genesis, but, uh, and a lot of this stuff that I pulled that's going to follow is from a paper by Sheldrake himself. Although, this is more this like morphogenesis. This is a legitimate field in biology. And I have looked into opposing arguments and included those in our skeptic corner. So don't even be coming at me for like trying to be pseudoscience. Uh, so within morphogenesis, there's what's known as morphogenetic fields. You know, like how do plants grow from spores or seeds into the final form of their species? It's called science, dude. You know, <laughs> how do leaves uh, fringe science? How do leaves of ferns, oaks, bamboo take their specific shapes? Uh, or you know those little like twigs that grow like perfect crosses? You guys know what I'm talking about? Twigs? Yeah, they're like the I, they grow in like the Highlands of Scotland or something, or like Ireland. They're like little tiny twigs, and they grow like perfect crosses. Maybe I'm just made that up. I thought that was something from my childhood. That's pseudoscience. <laughs> that could be pseudoscience. <laughs> but anyways, like these are questions to do with what biology calls morphogenesis. And this is one of the great unsolved problems of biology. Now, if we go even further back to ancient Greece, we step into philosophy for a minute. You got two main categories or schools of thought here. Uh, and I believe we discussed this previously. We got Plato's forms... Okay, yeah, I'm thinking forums. You got forms. Okay, okay, forms. Remember Plato's forms? I believe we discussed this on simulation theory. Check that episode out. That sounds right. <clears throat> if you have a okay. Yeah. Uh, this is like, um, he basically theorizes that forms of living organize, organisms were seen as imperfect copies of transcendent archetypes or perfect forms. Or, you know, everything is a copy of a copy of a perfect form of whatever that thing is. Now, Plato's student Aristotle, he thought that forms of animals and plants were shaped by their souls, uh, which mm. contained the form of the body and attracted the developing organism towards the characteristic forms of its species. Uh, now, a similar idea continued in Europe, but by the late 19th century, the mechanistic school of thought dominated science. Now, keep this in mind. Keep this uh, mechanistic uh, in the back of your mind, you know? And what this basically did was it saw all morphogenesis as a mechanistic process determined by inherited chemicals, which we know as DNA. Uh, now, I want to ask you guys, like, what do you guys think about this idea of a soul? 
in regards to Aristotle's view of it or like like your own view like if you guys what believe do we think? like do you guys believe in the idea of a, a person has a soul and if so like explain what that is tea bag <laughs> what are we thinking <laughs> what about a soul mate well you'd have to have a soul to have a soul mate <laughs> yeah. correct all right uh, yeah i'm on board Okay, so what what is your definition of a soul? It's like the unseen stuff within you that makes you you. So your personality? Well, you're not fucking your personality. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that. So you would but I mean it, advice. Your personality, that's what makes you you, right? This is going to be like the anger management uh, bit of like um you're telling me personality i want to know what your what your soul is (laughs) (laughs) what makes you you just answer the question i I, like i think you i think your personality is part of who you are but i think your soul is more than that okay so explain what is it if you believe you have a soul what is a soul like in your definition there's no right or wrong answer here it's just your belief right I'm, i'm just trying to think of you know, it's science. No, it, it doesn't even have to be a scientific. He's thing. asking just, like personal. Yeah, be- like this is even more in like experience or belief. Yeah, this is this can even be more in the realm of religion. What does Adam think? I, I like I I do think that that I I mean I can't speak for everybody, but I do believe in the idea of a soul. I believe in the idea of soulmates. Like it's who you are i guess but then that goes back to the whole reincarnation thing we're talking about because like even if your body dies in theory your soul would live on i think the soul is like the spiritual part of who you are man and i don't really know how to explain it i just believe in it i guess that sounds stupid i'm definitely not a scientist <laughs> okay so but <laughs> it sounds stupid i mean i think it's something that's hard to explain for sure i mean my personal thought on it is that like going off of what Adam said, like the spiritual aspect, I would say my definition is like the spirit of who you are. So it's not Mm. only your personality and like your personal, like the traits that make you, you, but it's like something kind of like he said, that can't be described. It's something that's a part of you that no one else has. You know what I mean? It's like, it's literally your spirit. Because that's what's going to live on after your body passes away. Whether you believe that you're going to be reincarnated, whether you believe you're going to heaven or hell, you know, maybe you're just going to be a ghost wandering around the earth. Okay, like Casper. But what I think is going on here is... Casper is a soul. You're talking about a spirit. I want to know what a soul is. (laughs) I'm saying that your soul is your spirit. Okay, so they're interchangeable. So these ideas, these religious ideas of like soul, spirit... Is this possibly a way for religion to explain this idea of like memory, personal experiences, which make up an individual? Because everybody has a different, different memories, which make up their life experience, which makes them them, which in turn makes up their personalities. Like, is that all kind of wrapped up into your soul? And is that a way for religion to kind of explain that? Maybe. Maybe. Hmm. And we will we will revisit this idea, I believe. Um, but I just want to throw that out there. Now, 
As we said, so, you know, there's these ideas of souls and the mechanistic school of thought predominates. Um, now, this whole mechanistic process by DNA. So essentially, all the cells of the body contain the same genes. Uh, in your body, the same genetic program is present in your eyes, kidneys, fingers. Now, the main question is, if they're all programmed identically, how do they develop so differently? Now, molecular biology explains what genes do. Now, to put this simply, this is a very oversimplified version of it, but they enable organisms to make particular proteins. Um, but these Which alone... Which is a pseudoscience. This is not pseudoscience. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is <laughs> molecular biology. Proteins. Um, proteins. But mm -hmm. so these alone cannot account for form. You know, your arms, your legs, they're chemically identical. If you if you ground up and analyze these biochemically, they would be indistinguishable. But they have different shapes. They take on a different form. What if you ground up some hogs? Again, same, same, same genes, biochemically indistinguishable. Now, there's something other than genes and the proteins they code for needed to explain form. Now, since the 1920s, many biologists have adopted the idea that developing organisms are shaped by fields called morphogenetic fields. Now, these are essentially like invisible blueprints that lay out the form of a growing organism. Uh, they are fields, self-organizing regions of influence. This is similar to like electric fields, magnetic fields, gravitational fields, you know. These aren't, those aren't physically tangible, but there's no doubt they exist. Like around this Earth. Is like, this is like saying what determines, like it's around us, but it like determines like why my arm is X length. Exactly. That's what these morphogenetic fields are. So think of them like, like an electric field, you know, a magnetic field. Like there's a field around magnets causing them to attract to each other. You can't see it. You can't feel it, but it, we know it's there. So that's how magnets work. That is how in case any uh, juggalos are listening, A, much wicked clown love, whoop, whoop, and B, that is how magnets work. So I guess these morphogenetic fields, think of them similar to that. Now, with these morphogenetic fields, no one knows what these fields are or how they work. Most biologists assume that at some point in the future, it's going to be explained in the terms of physics and chemistry. It must be nice to be a scientist at this time. Oh, well, they'll figure it out. Someone will figure it out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. Well, this is current. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but until then, don't you worry know, about that. Someone else will figure it out. Well, this is also just in the just terms. Just passing the buck. This is just in the terms of the morphogenetic fields guy. I don't think like every biologist kind of believes in this because this okay. is, uh, and as we'll find out, but you know, until fringe, as we said, fringe, very fringe. Um, but until this stuff is explained in terms of physics or chemistry, it is just a theory. This morphogenetic field stuff fringe until proven otherwise. Exactly. Now, this whole idea of morphogenetic fields was put forward by Alexander Gerwich. A lot of German-sounding names tonight. Uh, in 1920. Now, these field theories were widely influential at the time. And as we said, you know, the rise of genetics, molecular biology, this whole theory was essentially overlooked as science shifted towards a more bottom-up explanation of morphogenesis 
in terms of molecular mechanisms rather than a top-down holistic approach, which is what this field concept was trying to do. So are we tracking? Tracking. Now, this is again, this is just kind of the background information on this. Now, Rupert Sheldrick, he comes along, and he's a Brit from uh, Nottinghamshire, England. Very interesting YouTube videos. Check them out. <laughs> I've had pretty, if you, if you want to go to sleep, check out this guy's uh, YouTube videos. <laughs> Slander, dude. No, honestly, why is it that like anybody talking about science with a British accent will immediately put me to sleep? <laughs> That's like every video in high school. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't know what it is, but, um, now, some may say he's one of the last true scientists. You know, he's putting forth theories. He's diving into research that others won't go near for fear of being ridiculed. Um, and some might have you believe he's just some new age idiot undermining the public's understanding of science. But whatever the case, he did study philosophy and history of science at Harvard and he eventually earned a Ph.D. in biochemistry from Cambridge in 1967 uh, for his work in plant development and plant hormones. Guy's a scholar. He is a gentleman and scholar. Uh, that's why some would say he's one of the last true scientists. Now his main interests are in the paranormal. He has written books such as Dogs That Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home, colon, and Other Unexplained Powers of Animals, the sense power. of being stared at and the science delusion, colon, science set free, just to name a few. Nowadays, he is considered a researcher in the field of parapsychology, proposing his grandiose concept of morphic resonance, which at this point in his life, he is 78 years old, and this idea lacks mainstream acceptance. Yeah, he's got to die first. So. <laughs> yeah, he's got to do this guy was right. If you think about it, scientists are sort of like rappers. They have to die for their careers to matter. Or <laughs> like musical scientists. Jay-Z, dude. Yeah. Come on. Dude, rappers are still alive. Okay. I, I, obviously, Kendrick, there's, Dogg, Dr. <laughs> obviously, there's outliers, Rob. I'm just saying. The grand scheme of hip hop, if you die, you're going to get a, at least a gold album. At least. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, in short, this Rupert Sheldrake, he's basically looking to blur the line, or, is it, or would he be finding the line? Blurred lines. Between metaphysics and science. Or, or I guess he sees no border between science and metaphysics, you know? Gold jacket, green jacket. It's really a gold jacket, green jacket for him. I mean, do you guys even know what metaphysics is? As I said, I'm not a scientist. Okay. This is like, this is sort of like more f philosophical. It's like ideas, um, like abstract concepts, such as like being, knowing, substance, cause, identity, time, space. Souls. Yes, souls. That's mm. a perfect example. It's metaphysics. And Crystals. He's, I think Rob is a metaphysicist. He might be, you might be an amateur metaphysicist. You're into a lot of this metaphysical stuff. So Rupert Sheldrake, he's trying to kind of blur the line. Now his magnus opus is this. Just like Robin Thicke. Yes. Now his magnus opus is this morphic resonance stuff, the topic at hand today. Now morphic resonance. This is a term coined by Rupert Sheldrake in his 1981 book, A New Science of Life. 
Can you imagine just spending your whole life trying to prove something right and then you die and then it's like right after you're dead, they're like, this guy's (laughs) fucking right. Yeah, well, so he uses the term to describe his theory, which is basically that there is memory in nature. Uh, So there is like a telepathy type interconnection between organisms and a collective memory within species. Are we tracking here? We're tracking. Okay. Morphic resonance gives an inherent memory in fields at all levels of complexity. So tiny organisms to plants to animals, they all have this uh, concept of morphic resonance. Uh, Now, any given morphic system, say that of a squirrel, you know, he tunes into these previous systems. And in this case, squirrels of his own species and through this process each individual squirrel draws upon and in turn contributes to a collective or pooled memory of its kind so each squirrel inherently knows i'm i'm not like consciously but like it knows somehow that i'm supposed to look this way to be a squirrel i'm supposed to act this way and eat this thing and Exactly. I mean, I think more or less that's kind of what he's getting out here. And it's only in like in if it's only in a squirrel of the same species. Okay. Uh, so like, that makes sense. you know, no one knows how societies of termites are coordinated in such a way that, you know, these tiny blind insects build these complex nests with intricate internal architecture. Uh, nobody understands how flocks of birds or schools of fish move and change directions so quickly without bumping into each other or how a spider inherently knows how to spin an intricate web without ever being taught. Mm. You but know, we do know how magnets work now. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. Now from what I gather <clears throat> in simple terms, it's kind of like this idea coined by Carl Jung, uh, which we talked about, I believe is collective unconscious. You guys familiar with this term? I am. I think we deep down knew about it inherently. Yeah, this is like the theory that all humans, maybe even all creatures, are connected at a fundamental level and ideas can pass from person to person like a virus without a word being said. Now, this is often used to explain like mass hysteria, zeitgeist, or how identical ideas like calculus, the steamboat, airplanes were invented around the same time. Uh, by completely unconnected individuals. We tracking? Okay. Um, so this morphic resonance, you know, it's kind of similar to this, although it seems to be a little uh, hairier, we'll say, a little more in the weeds, a little more technical. You know, there's a little more rules to uh, his theory. Um, so as amateur knowledgeists, let's try to unpack this fringe theory, okay? Now... This is from Sheldrake's website. You know, this guy's got a website um, and he's got a bunch of articles. Now, I didn't want to put the whole thing in there because it would sound like a really boring, dull uh, biology paper. Kind of like his videos. <laughs> yeah, but so this this part of his, his stuff, it's like the memory of nature, fields of the mind. Um, the memory of nature, colon. Oh, yes. Of the memory mind. of nature, colon, fields of the mind. <laughs> Uh, So the morphic fields of mental activity are not connected to the insides of our heads. They extend far beyond our brain through intention and attention. 
We are already familiar with the idea of fields existing beyond material objects in which they are rooted. For example, magnetic fields exist beyond the surfaces of magnets. Uh, the Earth's gravitational field exists far beyond the surface of the Earth. It keeps the moon in orbit. Uh, or does it? Or the fields of a cell phone stretch out far beyond the phone itself. Now, this is where it seems like he's kind of grasping at straws. Like, isn't cell phone like it's a targeted like signal going from it's not like a field. I mean, technically. Okay. All right. Because well, it's sending and receiving information far beyond but the it's, uh, actual phone itself. But I'm saying, but what I'm saying is, a cell phone is purposely doing that. Like a magnet just has that field around it at all times. There's no, unless it's an electromagnet. There's no like turning it off and on, directing it. Like cell phones, they're you're directing the signal at certain things. But that's only, I mean, it's a little different. Like subjective, I think. Okay. All because right. it's like. You can turn off and on the cell phone, but it's only because it has that off and on switch. Like if it didn't have the off and on and you, someone just gave you this and you couldn't turn it off and on, it's still going to be sending and receiving that information. And it's only being directed because it's through that service provider that you're paying for. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like we all, like magnets exist in nature with magnetic fields. Same with cell gravity. Phones do not. Cell, cell phones do not. Yeah. Well, now um, they do. Now he's kind of saying likewise the fields of our mind extend far beyond our brain. Maybe he's just trying to like relate it to something that you can understand. You know what I mean? Maybe. But I mean, what do we think about his idea of the mind? Does it exist far beyond your brain? Like, what do you guys think? Is Like your thoughts, your memory, your mind is basically infinite. Is that all packed inside your head? Or is it, you know, like the cloud? Kind of like we already really know everything, but until you realize it, you don't know it. Mm, a little different. I think it's like some things, but I'm just saying in terms of like a minefield, great, great skate video. Uh, is it oh, like, yeah. is there, do you think there's a minefield similar to a magnetic field where like maybe possibly all species could be connected on this like field off in the ether somewhere? Uh, I think it's hard to believe that. Okay, so you're a mechanistic material guy. You are thinking it's all in your brain. I don't think it's all in your brain, but I, don't, I think... So then you do think it's a field. <coughs> I don't think or do we have a new theory here? Is this your grand idea? What do we got? Metaphysicist, <laughs> <laughs> <Metaphysics>, philosophical Rob. <laughs> I, think, I think I agree with the part that actions and intentions stretch beyond your physical limit. But I don't think that if I have a thought, I don't think it's just like sends it out into the fucking universe like a fucking like i'm sending it to the cloud like you said are you kidding me you're always talking about negative thoughts negative no, energy but that's what i'm saying negative i'm vibes. saying like when you have bad vibes those go like you don't i can't see that but i can feel it you know what i mean so then it would you are you are saying you agree with this field because that's a, from my head it emanates. yeah but i'm saying like if this is just an example. If I'm thinking like, oh, that guy's a fucking asshole. I'm not. That idea is done just like, bloop, like off into like, and someone else can just grab it. It's like, this is like, you're thinking of like that new movie with Tom Holland where it's like everybody can see and hear his thoughts. This is not like that. This is like, uh, what I'm talking about. No, is but like, you're, th his theory, correct me if I'm wrong, is basically saying like, 
everyone's personal experience and things that they've gone through in their lifetime kind of goes off into the ether and we learn from those experiences kind of thing, correct? Similar, yes, in a broad sense. So I'm saying I don't necessarily believe that that exists, but I think that when you're sending out a certain... Like, if you have bad intentions, you someone else can pick up on that if they're in tune with their selves. You know what I mean? Okay, see, that's what I, that's what I was getting at, too. Like, I'm saying... If, if, well, no, no, let, no, let's I'll, let that Sorry. Let's say we're riding on a train together, and I see Rob over in the corner, and he's looking, like, down, depressed. Like, I can feel, like, empathetically, maybe not from the brain or something, but I can feel that. I feel like, oh, man, maybe this guy's feeling down. Or, like, if you have a dog... Dogs like know when you're feeling down and they'll come up and try and be affectionate. Yeah, but well, with the train thing, is that like you use the term I can see, like that's more body language and you just know that from your experience. But how do I know that? Well, because you've lived until you're 18, like a little kid, like a little kid can pick up when you're feeling down. I've had little kids come up to me. If, if I'm feeling sad, if I'm feeling sad and I'm holding a baby, I'll bet that baby can feel that some kind of vibe or I guarantee you. So you're saying if you were on a train blindfolded and Rob was in a bad mood, you would be able to feel his bad mood? Potentially. Okay. So then w- that would kind of be like this, these thoughts are out in the ether there. But that's more of like uh, like the vibrations that you're putting off. Which come from your mind. Hmm. Yeah, but you were saying like experiences, thoughts, the mind, is that all encapsulated inside? To an extent, I think think that your mind is because it's your mind. But I'm saying like I think that you can pick up on how someone's feeling, how how they're looking. That's completely different than their mind. You know what I mean? Okay, so I think I know. I think I know. Okay, so you're saying basically, (laughs) no, it's just like obviously, yes, your mind is in your brain. But you can it's put out state. bad signals, bad vibrations. So that's kind. Of, you're kind of like more comparing when, the well, mind to the cell phone. When you're you can turn it on and off, bad yeah. signals putting out there. It's not just always out there. But there's definitely people that are super in tune with that that can pick up mm. on like like I psychics. Know, I know you guys don't necessarily believe Crystals. in it, but like people that call themselves healers, those people that are like super in. Pseudoscience with everyone, they can kind of like pick up on your vibes, see what's going on with you without, without you actually saying anything. Yeah, I guess you could call it you could call it a psychic, but I would say it's more of someone that's just very intuitive, clairvoyant. Is what they're called. Yeah, sure. Okay, we'll call it that. And again, that's a little in the realm of pseudoscience, maybe still French parapsychology. It's all in there. now, Sheldrake goes on. He's saying he, he writes in his book, dogs that know when their owners are coming home. Telepathy is not. That nor- sounds like a cash grab. <laughs> yeah. He just used it to explain. How many copies did that book sell? Why don't you, <laughs> I don't know, look it up. I'm saying he just used it to explain your point. This guy's writing a book about it. And in the book, he says telepathy is normal, not paranormal. Natural, not supernatural. It is also common between people, especially people who know each other well. Now, do you think that's like, 
like this goes back to your whole shared theory or shared experience theory because like if rob and i were to go somewhere and we heard like filling propane we could just look at each other and know to laugh right away instinctively because of a shared experience that's true yeah but that's uh i i mean i think it's a it's a little different than that like if a dog knows i mean obviously dogs can't read clock but a dog has got to be able to feel like okay my owner comes home at five o'clock every day it feels about the same amount of time is that telepathy or is that well see the telepathy thing would be like if you and rob both experienced something that you each thought was funny like separately and you never even told any either person about it but then you knew like off the bat i mean i don't know these these examples this is too fringe for me man Okay. You know, it's hard to explain, but his whole summary is like these morphic fields, they contain a built-in memory given by self-resonance with a morphic unit's own past and by morphic resonance with all previous similar systems. The memory is cumulative. The more often particular patterns of activity are repeated, the more habitual they tend to become. So are we tracking here? Kind of. Yes, but I also kind of, I don't know if I want to play devil's advocate, but going back to the whole soul thing, if you follow that, subscribe to that school, like you might have memories from your past, right? And you could have learned things and recall things that happened to you in a past life in theory. Yeah, and then once you start doing that thing again, you're like, oh shit, I know how to do this. Well, but again, I think you- Is that what you're getting at? I, I don't know about that, but okay. Like before, I like I've, I've talked to a psychic before, and she assures me that I fought in the Civil War. So maybe like, which side were you on? I don't remember what she said, but like, so like in theory, letter like, it. Wow, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you were white supremacist, clearly. Uh, um, you were more. That. You were Morgan Freeman's character in Glory. Perfect. I see that. Um. So in theory, like, it, God forbid, if I got called into war, I might have the natural instincts and reactions because I've experienced war before. Now, obviously, war has changed since the, in the last 200. But in theory, so maybe, like, I have these instincts because thousands of years ago, I was a prehistoric dude running around from dinosaurs. Now, I think what's happening here is you guys are getting too specific. It's not like this is passed on for only you. No, this is like a human experience. Right, right, right. So it wouldn't just be like, like say you subscribe to the idea of like reincarnation. It's not like just just you fought in the Civil War in a previous life. This is like, I think it's more broad than that. Like, you know okay. how like birds just know how to make nests. Like they don't teach their babies. Like this is how we have to make a nest. They just know. And it's like, it's well, like, maybe they do. it's more primal than like getting super specific and narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's essentially the idea is like this memory and these patterns. And this is where the aspects of the theory basically get a little questionable because I mean, we're all tracking already, right? We're saying this is kind of a, are we in agreement or are we playing devil's advocate saying this is bull hockey? I feel like I'm tracking, but you're about to drop a bomb on me. It's like high school all over again. (laughs) I didn't even know it started. I'm saying I agree with some aspects of it, but I think the overall thing is kind of bullshit. Okay, okay. 
So does that make sense? Yeah, it does. it does. Now, what aspects specifically do you like? Well, like I said earlier, I think that I think that the intentions, the the vibrations, yeah, the vibrations things. But also, I kind of can agree with what Adam was saying. Like, if you do subscribe to the reincarnation theory, that maybe some of those things were learned in past lives, and that's how we kind of know what we're doing now. That's how we advance. Okay. So do you guys believe in the reincarnation theory? You said, no, you like the idea of it, but you don't believe in it. I said, I like the idea of it, but it's hard to believe in. I do. I could definitely see it being a thing though. Okay. Well, we'll get into that a little later, but I mean, like, you ever, as we always do, you ever like met someone and be like, I feel like I've known you like a soulmate. I don't, I don't necessarily, maybe not, I don't know necessarily about a soulmate, but like, you could just meet someone and be like, feel like perfectly comfortable, like you've been around them. I don't know, man. You ever meet people like that? Or like uh, sometimes you have like a friend, like maybe you've only been friends for like a year, but it seems like you just known them forever. That kind of thing. Yeah. 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 I feel what you're saying. Okay. Well, let's get into the questionable aspects of this theory because the uh, this idea that the structure of morphic fields depends on what has happened before. In other words... The fields contain a memory, you know, through repetition of repetition, the patterns or forms they organize become increasingly probable, increasingly habitual. So right now in mainstream science, we'll say we have what science calls the laws of nature. Uh, These are things in nature that seem to be fixed, you know, Newton's law of gravitation, his three laws of motion. Uh, Now, Sheldrake's theory is basically saying that these are more like habits and these will evolve over time. It's just a matter of time until someone comes and disproves them. I I mean, I guess. Well, not not only disproving, but he's saying like like the only reason they seem like they're fixed is because they're so habitual in nature. Like maybe one day this could change or these laws could change. Like think about like uh, I think I was hearing like the the light speed, like how fast light speed actually is. Like they calculate like this is how fast light speed is. That's changed like four or five times over the course Mm -hmm. of like since light speed was kind of theorized. And that's what I guess he's kind of getting at. It evolves over time. Now morphic resonance um, should be detected detectable in the realms of physics, chemistry, biology, animal behavior, psychology, and the social sciences. Uh, But long-established systems such as zinc atoms, quartz crystals, insulin molecules are governed by such strong morphic fields. Uh, They have such deep grooves in their habit that little change can be observed. So they behave as if they're governed by fixed laws. Mm. Are we tracking here? Tracking. So this isn't like humans. We've only been around for how many years? Who knows? <laughs> it's, like, it's like a very short amount of time the human race has existed on the earth in comparison to other things. So like obviously plants take form and have this morphic resonance, crystals, atoms, like anything. So it's saying that those things have been around much, much longer, so their patterns are deeper and more ingrained in them, so they seem like fixed laws. Does this make sense? It makes sense to me. Okay. 
Now, what does any good scientist do, as we learned in our MK Ultra series? LSD. <laughs> Besides LSD, because that is true. And hazing other scientists. Testing. Oh, that's what you want to call it. Yeah, testing. <laughs> they're, they're men of science. You got to test out these fields. Now, the easiest way to test for morphic fields um, directly is to work with societies of organisms. So individual animals can be separated in such a way that they can't communicate um, by other normal sensory means. Now, if information still travels between them, this would imply the existence of interconnections of the kind provided by morphic fields. Now, the transfer of information through morphic fields could help prove an explanation for telepathy, uh, which typically takes place between members of groups who share social or emotional bonds. Okay, so, so let me make sure I'm... Tra- let, let's go back to the squirrel example. We take a squirrel, a baby little squirrel, take him away from his family and all the other squirrels and put him in like a lab with a tree. Tracking? Tracking. And this squirrel is just going to know, hey, I should eat the nuts that come from this tree. Hey, when it gets cold out, I need to hibernate. Yeah, pretty much. Like they've done similar experience where like a baby chick. So they take a baby chick, one day old, fresh out the egg. Chicks come from eggs, right? Fresh out the egg. And they'll take like a silhouette of like another chicken and go in front of it. And, you know, I'll just be like, yeah, you know, I'm chilling. Then they'll take a silhouette of a hawk and they'll like freak out. They'll like freeze up. So they like know because that's inherent in them that hawks are are their uh, predators. Does this make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Now, this test that we're about to get into is a bit different. Now, so if these fields exist, this would mean that we can affect things just by looking at them in ways that cannot be explained in terms of conventional physics. For example, we may be able to affect someone by looking at them from behind when they have no other way of knowing we were staring at them. So now we'll get into the Gans field experiment or the Gans field effect. Have you guys ever heard of this? I have not. Okay, so this was essentially developed to kind of test like psychological stuff. We might have talked about this in our uh, remote viewing. This is very similar to that. It's like it's like using sensory deprivation to test this. So the experiment, this was devised by these scientists and the experiment is like you have a receiver. This individual was placed in a room in a comfortable chair. They cut a ping pong ball in half, put it over their eyes. They shine some red diffused light on it. You, you keep, they keep their eyes open. They wear a set of headphones through which they pump white or pink static. White noise, pink noise, just static. Have you done this before? I have. Well, Jed got way into this, which we'll, we'll see is, could be kind of devastating. Um, <laughs> so so this, this was the experiment, and I'm just explaining the experiment. So you got this receiver. Got the ping pong balls, white noise, diffused light. Um, So the receiver is in a state of mild sensory deprivation for half an hour. During this time, you have a sender and they observe randomly chosen targets and try to mentally send the information to the receiver. 
The receiver speaks out loud during the 30-minute duration, describing what he or she can see. And the receiver is taken out of the Gansfield state, given a set of possible targets from which they select the one which most resembled the images they witness. And most commonly, there are three decoys. Um, so it's like if they pick the right one, they know that these, uh, if it's above chance, then they know that there's so- they've got something here. And if they're wrong, they get electrocuted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ghostbusters. No, this is literally like Stranger Things or Altered States. And yes, Jed in his garage many years ago. You know, he got way into this shit. Um, was he actually sending information though? No, I don't think he was doing the experiment right, which is maybe why it was so devastating. Because <laughs> we'll see this like... So they found out like interesting results, you know? The test has never proved conclusive evidence of the existence of ESP. And there's a lot of criticism with the different tests over the years. Now, throughout, like they did this test. And in this test, they found what is known as the Gansfield effect. And this is essentially the brain filling in the blanks of your own senses. So, you, you know, if you're the receiver, you're staring at a field of unchanging color. And you've got this white noise just pumping into your brain. Now, because your visual perception doesn't change at all, your brain essentially cuts visual information off and your brain thinks it isn't picking up any signals and it amplifies what is called neural noise in an attempt to locate these missing signals. Now, this is perceived by you as a hallucination and it causes you to perceive perceive and sometimes hear stimuli that isn't there uh, in addition to altered states of consciousness. So this is like, this is essentially what meditation is trying to do. It's just a way to like speed up meditation. Mm. Now, T-Bag, okay. you're a big meditator guy. You ever try this? Um, I think unknowingly. I didn't do the whole like, well, maybe I did without knowing it. Like one time I just like threw some covers over my head plugged in some earphones and just zon- I set a timer for like they're unbeknownst to me. Maybe Jed was telling me this telepathically. Now Telepathic- what was the, what was in the headphones? Um, I'll, I'll be real with you. It was either like, uh, what's that different chakra? Is that what it is? It was either like a different chakra meditative thing that was supposed to like, Oh, like those bowls, like those bells. I think that's what it was. And each like every so every few minutes it was supposed to activate a different chakra. All right. Well, yeah. maybe, you know, in your spare time, cut a ping pong ball, look at some red light, your spare get, time. get some white noise going, see what you come up with, man. And this uh, is a, hey, all you listeners out there, warning, try this at your own risk because I was digging more into this. And as we know, um, so a short period of sensory deprivation, this Gansfield effect, can be beneficial to mindfulness meditation, as we said, uh, but longer periods of time can have negative effects, such as negative hallucinations, considerable anxiety or paranoia, unusual thought patterns, and even depression in some cases. Uh, so this is a warning for all you listening out there. Try this at your own risk. But Sound I would like anyone you know. That sounds like someone we might know. But I would say set a timer for 30 minutes. Don't go longer than 30 minutes Mm. because it can be dangerous to your mental health and we want to be sure we're taking care of everybody's mental health out there. 
Now, this is where we'll start getting into sort of like skeptic corner. Because as we see this experiment, there's a lot of stuff wrong. You know, people are very critical of this Gonsfield stuff. Like they've done the experiments throughout the years and they found that like there's different variables, you know, maybe people were hinting at which signals to give them. Uh, they weren't fully cut off. There's like just, just a lot of stuff going wrong with these experiments. Um, but as we said, you know, there's never been any conclusive evidence provided um, with this experiment for the existence of ESP. So skeptic corner, let's visit this. Now, Sheldrake, he prefers this idea, and this is where we'll get into the uh, mechanistic model stuff. So Sheldrake, he prefers teleological ideals to mechanistic models of reality. Teleology is the ideal that something is ex existing, the idea of something existing for a purpose, for an end goal and the end of some process. It's the idea of what something is for. So an example of this is like, what are forks for? They are for eating. What are bricks for? They are for building. You know, this would be a selling. This would be a tell. <laughs> this would be a teleological understanding of forks and bricks. It's a way of understanding what a fork is by asking what its purpose is. Now, there's other ways you could understand what a fork is, um, but teleology is merely one of them. Now, mainstream science prefers mechanistic models because sometimes teleology isn't helpful. So say there's no apparent purpose to something. The purpose can't be agreed or even known. This is what philosophy argues about a lot. Is there a teleology to human species, to the universe, to history, politics, life on earth? Do these exist for a purpose or do they just exist by accident for no reason? What are we thinking here, each of you guys? Is this like Forrest Gump? Are we all floating on a breeze accidental? Mama said these my magic shows. I think it's a little bit of both, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> is life really like a box of chocolate? Yeah, what do we think? Is is there a purpose to any of this or is it just by accident? Like, what do you guys think? Obviously, I would say since you guys are into the whole soul, spirit, energy type things, you would probably assume there's a purpose, right? You boys twins? Are we just a simulation? <laughs> okay. <laughs> now... Do we exist for a purpose? Now, teleology is the idea that everything has a purpose and, and one can find that purpose. It can also be seen as a, a kind of like circular reasoning. You know, if A, then B, then you could also say if B, then A, almost like the chicken or the egg, right? Almost. It's just kind of like circular reasoning. I think, therefore I am. You got to find I what am. B and A is first before yeah, you can yeah, solve yeah. the riddle. Okay, <laughs> you're talking about like uh, in terms of morphogenetic fields? Yeah. Okay, now now let's get into like full-on skeptic corner uh, because I was finding like a bunch of reviews on stuff. So in this guy's book, The Sense of Being Stared At, um, this is by Rupert Sheldrake. And essentially like I read a lot of the book on Google Books and it's kind of like, like you expect like, okay, sense of being stared at, this guy wrote it into a book. He's got this grandiose theory. He's going to find some groundbreaking evidence. But essentially the whole book's premise is just that, you know, we did some tests and people's ability to guess when they're being stared at is slightly above 50%. 
Uh, and then, you know, there's like, uh, he tells like a couple stories in there of like outliers and, um, it's just really fucking vague. Like his whole message of the book. Uh, he's basically just saying like, Hey, it's slightly above 50%. So I'm saying that there's a psychic field around all living beings and you can interact with others through this field. And it's completely immeasurable through science, through scientific means. Um, so, you know, it's not like groundbreaking evidence he's providing. It's not even a groundbreaking theory as this was around well before his time with the whole morphogenetic fields. Right. I think I'm hung up on this 50%. I mean, it's still a guess, right? These people are still guessing. What if, what if they had guessed less than 50%? Well, so like, (laughs) I guess in terms of like science experiments, if it's it's a 50-50 chance and you do run all these tests, you run them a bunch of different times and on average it's over 50%, then that's like significant in your findings. But again, like slightly above 50%, they could have just got lucky. Like I don't yeah, really know saying. how many <laughs> tests this guy was running and stuff. But again, this is skeptic corner. You know what else we don't know is how many books he's selling. <laughs> well, that's true. You're never <laughs> able to find that. Uh, now, some skeptics say the theory of morphic resonance is just flat out wrong. It's an idea that has been heavily investigated on a large scale and has gained no empirical evidence to back it up. Now, That's what they said about the heliocentric universe as well. It's also what they said about germs. Now, any evidence that it does claim doesn't hold up to peer review, and we'll get more into this later, uh, by scientific standards... So there is no reason yet to believe it. Now, this one guy I found is really going in on our pal Rupert here. He is claiming that um, what the rest of the scientific world calls laws of nature, Sheldrake calls morphic resonance. This theory of morphic resonance gives him a conceptual framework where information is transmitted mysteriously and miraculously through any amount of space and time without a loss of energy and furthermore without a loss of change or content through something like mutation in DNA replication. So he's basically saying like, while his proposition seems to be explaining something like telepathy, it's also ignoring Occam's razor. Uh, telepathy and phantom limbs, for example, this guy says can be explained without adding metaphysical baggage or morphic resonance. And so can memory, which does not require a holographic paradigm. Now, is that fully true? Because from what I researched, like science does not have a great understanding of memory. Well, keep in mind, I'm not a scientist. Okay. So, (laughs) Uh, He says the notion that new skills are learned with increasing ease as greater quantities of population acquire them, known as the hundredth monkey phenomenon, is bogus. Now, what do we think here? Because this goes into morphic resonance. Like Sheldrake is saying that like like really hard stuff should become easier once humans do it more and more and more and more. And I was thinking of this in terms of like skateboarding. That's exactly where my mind went. Yeah. Actually does make sense. Well, you think about it back in the day, like the only way for us to learn how to do, like you had to buy a skate video or get a magazine and try and break that shit down for yourself. Now there's a million YouTube videos, how to ollie, how to kickflip, 
kids can learn it a million times easier. But is that, baby. is that because of the videos, you think? Or is it because humans are just doing it and they're passing it on and passing it on? Because that would be more for Gresnitz. It's I like it's being passed it, on. I don't think it's been around long enough to for it to be like that, though. Well, yeah, that's also what I was kind of getting at is mm-hmm. like some of these people are working on a really short timeline. I don't know. Even Rupert himself kind of contradicts himself because it's not like this stuff would be passed on within like a generation. It's kind of seems like a, a humanity type thing. Whereas like this memory is going from like the beginning of humanity. Like, don't they sometimes say, you know, have you ever been falling asleep and you like stumble to like get yeah. up? And they say that that's left over from when we evolved from apes. They used to sleep in the trees and that's like a, hypnic jerk or something they call it because it's to like catch ourselves from falling out of a tree it's like a leftover blueprint from that but again that's on a massive scale of like humanity not just like in the past like 10 years years, yeah yeah. um but yeah now to sum all of this up skeptics are basically saying that uh although like sheldrake is a respected scientist like obviously he earned a lot of accolades degrees um he has clearly abandoned conventional science in favor of magical thinking. Jesus. And he has every right to do this, but the problem lies in him continuing to pose as a scientist on the frontier of some breakthrough discovery. He is no more than a, quote, alternative scientist whose resentment at the modern scientific paradigms has led him to seek his own paradigms in ancient and long-abandoned concepts. More than anything... His popularity is rooted in our want or possibly our need to believe. So what are we thinking there? Well, I'm wondering how many of these guys that are tearing him down have actually done any experimentation into his (laughs) beliefs. Like it's so much easier to just be like, oh, this fucking asshole's full of shit. Fuck this guy than to actually... I guarantee you half the people that are talking shit about him probably have done minimal research into his beliefs or findings, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Clearly, clearly they didn't buy his books. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's something we maybe all could also could have done research on. But I will say these other people are, we'll say like mainstream scientists. But I think Sheldrake's whole what, thing that's is That's what like, I'm saying. It's politics. It's not. Yes. They're not. Sheldrake's whole thing is like do- science yeah. is dogma. Yeah. Like, I, you know, you go against the mainstream thing and you're kind of like blackballed. You don't get your funding for research. Well, look at Bernie Sanders. Right. He's not example. a scientist. Yeah, dude. but I'm saying he has like what people would call fringe ideas or something that's not in the mainstream. And every fucking time election time runs around, what happens? We get some fucking moron like Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Okay. Same. I'm saying the same kind of theory. It's not like I'm not saying they're scientists i'm just saying <laughs> that well we're people, focusing on science here well we're that's what i'm saying though i'm saying in this aspect people are quick to just jump on him and say oh this guy's full of shit he's a fringe scientist all this when his background in science can kind of back him up although this idea in particular hasn't been necessarily proven yet i'm saying these mainstream guys are just saying mainstream oh it's a crock of shit because they don't necessarily they don't personally agree with what he's saying okay so, so you like you're a fan of sheldrake i mean i'm not saying i'm a fan i'm just saying it's easier for these guys to to simply say 
oh, I'm a leading scientist in the mainstream. This guy's fucking some old bag of balls. Bernie Sanders. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, this is, I want to go back because it says right here, what the rest of the scientific world calls laws of nature, Sheldrake calls morphic residence. So maybe like the rest of the scientific community is like, yeah, we've been there. We've done that. This guy is just beating the same horse to death. Like, Well, I think that's what the one person was saying is like, because remember, we talked about the preface was the morphogenesis and he and science shifted to mechanistic explanations. But he's going back. Okay. And he's okay. essentially going back and saying, well, no, I think there's something to it here. But again, like, I think Sheldrake is kind of just saying like, hey, I want to like talk about this and do research into it. And because of the dogmas of science, everybody's sort of like. They've written it off. Or maybe he is a, a snake oil guy kind of repackaging these old ideals. They want people to believe their beliefs and not believe, like just think this guy's full of shit, bullshit. Oh, he's he's going back to the old system. He doesn't believe, like this, this doesn't align with our beliefs, so it's got to be bullshit. I think it's just kind of uh, slandering in, in a way, if you will. Okay. and now- I'm not, And I'm not saying that I necessarily am you know, 100% on board with Sheldrick or... So you're slandering him. (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) I'm saying I think these other guys are just to kind of like prove their point. They're kind of like, oh, it's easy to bash on this old guy and boost myself up than rather than to actually look into it and see, oh, maybe there's like something to this. Maybe this guy has a point. You know what I mean? Like... Well, yeah, especially with like the technology we have now, why not go back and look into old theories that are considered fringe or written off? Like, who knows? Like we said, maybe once he dies. Yeah, exactly. Maybe once he dies, we use technology to prove some of his theories and these guys look like fools. Yes. Now, do we think these skeptics will quickly change their minds one day if this fringe topic shifts into the realm of mainstream science? Will they keep this same energy if they find themselves on the opposite side of the fence? They would probably say, this was in our collective. We knew this was going to happen. We agreed with them the whole time. Now, I assume like, I assume that some of these guys, th- these scientists that are bashing him, like, if they were presented with proof, they'd change their minds. You know, that's what mm. science is. It's, as we said, it's tr- constantly trying to prove the other guy wrong. Um, now, if we forget about getting as specific as morphic resonance for a minute. Let's just focus on the realm of, say, metaphysics or parapsychology, uh, telepathy, that type of shit. You know, obviously we love this stuff. It's fun to talk about, partially because nobody really knows what the hell is up with it. Um, But this is a very, these are like very contentious topics in science. And there's two schools of thought. Uh, There's like one group, who basically say this is real, they do research on it, and they stake their life's work on proving it exists. And then on the other hand, you've got a group of skeptics who are positive it's a load of bullshit, they want to debunk it, and they have dedicated their life's work on proving it doesn't exist. Now, these two groups clash on ideological worldviews. You know, these hardline skeptics, these are committed to the worldviews of materialism, These are mechanistic material guys uh, who view that the physical world is the basis of everything that exists. So this is like we talked about on simulation. Einstein, remember he tried to, he spent the last 30 years of his life trying to prove 
the like material he is a material girl living in a material world <laughs> now uh this view emerged in the late enlightenment period and generally is the base is basically the cornerstone of atheism and then today we have kanye west who is this generation's closest thing to einstein oh no let's not let's not that that's uh Science, baby. <laughs> I don't Science. know. Let's not throw that in there. Now, while there are... Those are his words, not mine. Now, while the <laughs> believers see materialism as an oppressive sort of dogma that they want to overthrow and replace with something less bleak. So you have the mechanistic material guys, and then you have these other guys that are saying like, hey, maybe it's not this. Now, again, remember in simulation theory, we discussed like idealism versus materialism. Yes. Okay. Um, so is there perhaps an answer in the middle ground? Ideal material. Well, again, going back <laughs> to what we were talking about before, I think that the topic at hand is so hard to prove that, again, these these mainstream scientists would rather just be like, oh, this is a crock of shit from some old guy who's going back to these old views rather than try and, you know, See if there's anything that actually sticks Any with merit. it. You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. Uh, and this will this will bring us to like as we talked about memory. And remember, I was like saying cats. like No, no, this is, this is not the this is not memory from Cats the musical. Uh, this is like your own memory. Okay, your memory is in your head. Think of a memory, or is it? Close Maybe your eyes. I want you to do me a test right here. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Think of a memory and describe us the memory. All right. So I, I pulled up to this house to deliver a package today. And the package, it's it's Friskies, the cat food you track in. And I, I'm thinking to myself, someone paid $32.58 to send this six pack of Friskies to someone else in this country. How much is a six pack of Friskies normally? Probably like six bucks. I feel like you can get them cans for like a dollar each. Now, when you were describing that memory, could that you cat see, really needed that food? All could right. you see <laughs> the memory? Yeah, I, I. But now, now you got me thinking. Like, this is how I think I saw it, and how I think I experienced it. Yes. Like, do you know what's happening when you are forming a memory? No, I don't. What about you, Rob? You got any sort of explanation for that? You're just remembering an experience that you previously had. You're telling me what a memory is. I want you to tell me how you remember something. Uh, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> okay. For like the 10th uh, time. And again, this is like, this is what I was talking about. Like we don't really have a good understanding of the brain and stuff because. Do we though? Well, when we think about, let's say neuroscience, you know, or how yeah. the brain works. You oh. just said we don't really understand how the brain works. Will you listen? Will you let me get finished the paragraph? <laughs> this is how you were remembering it, Rob. When we think of, when we think about, let's say, neuroscience or how the brain works, there's a lot we understand, and there's a fair amount we don't. Specifically in terms of memory. Now, Sheldrake's theory doesn't answer this question, but it, it dabbles in memory. We'll say. So this got me thinking, you know, what can't science figure out? Do you guys know? Memory. <laughs> okay. So in terms of the brain, we do not understand the basics. We know about connections, 
but we don't know how information is processed. Or perhaps even morphic resonance. Well, again, that's a totally different theory. I'm talking actual science in terms of understanding the brain. Well, they can't, they can't explain it. Understanding exactly how the neural pathways function could lead to improved treatments for depression, genetic disease, and many other conditions like PTSD. But we need to understand the basics if we ever want to understand more abstract or complex experiences like consciousness itself. Now, where is your memory? How is it stored? What would you guys say there? It's on a uh, USB drive. I mean, there's got to be some part of the brain where that's stored, correct? Okay, so memory, it's uh, its all in the brain. Again, remember we talked about the difference between like a field or being fully in the brain? Okay. Correct. So in terms of... It's in the cloud. Okay, yes, yes. Almost like that. <laughs> so in terms of memory, now identity is more complex than we first thought. You know, where and how we store thousands of faces that we can recognize is still up for debate. It is also vital to our memory that we can forget unimportant details or we would be overloaded with information. Uh, you know, we know that memories degrade over time, quickly at first, then more slowly. Uh, recall strengthens them and reduces forgetting but we don't know exactly how this happens. One option is that the memories are stored in our brains. We just can't access them. Another is that the information is lost to us completely. And I was also looking into like blacking out. You know what happens when you black out? You completely forget. You pee on bikes. Not th <laughs> no, you don't even record it in the first place. Your brain is so intoxicated that it doesn't even record information. So it's not like it's ever even there in your brain. So when you're browning out, that's why you only remember certain parts. Yeah. Because you're, like, like, you're like in and out. Yeah. Now it's no secret your boy T has suffered many concussions in his day and age. What about like where I just, like there's been times where I'll go to a store and completely forget where I'm at, why I went there. Like I've had little old ladies come up and offer to help me. Yeah, it sounds like CTE or something, Bubba. Maybe get yeah. that checked out. I Yeah, well, there's nothing they can do about that until after I die. I'm like a scientist. Uh, this is, again, something we don't know about the brain now. Are you donating your body to science? I'm going to. Now, now get this. So one thing that is thought to be vital to our process of remembering and forgetting is sleep and possibly dreams, uh, which we also don't have a great understanding of. And I have been working on a dream episode for years. Uh, so maybe we jump into that. I would um, be down. Now, one theory, and this is pretty strong theory, is that dreams are our body converting short-term memories into long-term. So it's basically moving information around in your brain while you sleep. And this is why we get like vivid dreams and just like random thoughts that we had throughout the day pop up in our dreams, you know? So it's like the computer's going to sleep, but still moving stuff around. It's got that freaky screensaver. <laughs> but there's still stuff going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now, what is it physically? Memory. You know? Physically? Again, when I just asked you two gentlemen to close your eyes and describe a memory, what was happening physically is a memory is a specific pattern of neurons firing in your brain. So recalling a memory means that you're making those neurons fire in the exact same pattern 
essentially reconstructing the memory. See, I felt like one of the movie projectors, like someone flipped the switch and then it's projecting like on my brain. Yeah, but see, that's not what it is. Your memories aren't like computer files. They're more like a series of clues, like let's say Blue's Clues. Uh, you know, you, clue. <laughs> you got your five senses of emotions that factor, your five senses and emotions all factor into your memories. Now, now what emotions do you feel? Now, a theory about sleep and dreams is that you know, your brain organizes memories while you sleep. Uh, one correlation is that people who learn new things in a classroom or a formal training report lots of dreams when they sleep. See, I used to sleep a lot in class and during formal training. So you were never learning it in the first place. Right, right. right. But see, I've also heard, like, if you, if you wanted to learn a language, you could just listen to it while you sleep. But I guess that's been debunked, too. Yeah, that might, I mean, Mythbusters you might it. catch, like, things here and there, you know? But I'm not going to wake up fluent in Polish. Exactly. Yeah. You might. You well, do it hey, try it out. Let us know how it works. You'll come All on right. as fully Polish professor next episode. <laughs> now, some memories fade or become disjointed because they are not used. Uh, that person from your teen years that you interacted with a lot is now the dude with the shirt uh, because <laughs> memories weren't used. They weren't used that much. You didn't recall. You didn't think about this memory a lot, you know. Uh, and you can recover some of that. Uh, so when that dude with the shirt sends you a Facebook request many years later, your brain is like, oh, yeah, I remember that, you know? you know, Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Like, you've had something like this happen, right? Tracking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, the key takeaway here is that memory isn't like a DVD or a photograph. It's a living thing that can re be replenished or it can die based on how it's used. Um, now, this is why hypnotism and other methods to retrieve lost or repressed memories is super controversial because it's easy to create false memories. Uh, and this has led people to thinking they were sexually abused by a parent when that never actually happened. And this can ruin families and lives. Uh, also, every time you recall a memory, it's changed a tiny, tiny bit. Your brain is basically playing a game of telephone with itself. And the original memory can get distorted over time. So it's like a game of telephone with your brain. That's what I literally just said. <laughs> is this deja vu over here? I think uh, I'm having deja vu. Now that's also, this is also why witness testimony is becoming less and less trusted by the legal system. Uh, memories are often extremely faulty. Now, isn't it true that you could, you, you could lie to yourself enough and create something like a story in your head and if you tell it enough times you think it's true it's a memory it's called being a psychopath yeah didn't hitler write that in mein kampf <laughs> jesus <laughs> you tell a lie enough and white it becomes the truth is a white supremacist hey this guy is telling the lie enough and it becomes the truth oh that's an actual quote yeah now, now I'm getting now this so kind of this kind of led me down to a road of like PTSD because you know we we hear a lot about this especially in recent years mental health PTSD the soldiers the soldiers field of honor you know um, another field if you will yes now we don't know why some people who suffer a traumatic event develop PTSD while many others don't uh, a theory on this is having a smaller than average hippocampus has also been linked to vulnerability to developing PTSD, 
We know that the hippocampus is involved in strong memories in context. So if this area is underactive, it could explain why flashbacks experienced in PTSD are like reliving the event rather than simply remembering it. Well, also, I think it has to do with how people handle certain situations. Yeah. Well, that's what this is saying. Obviously, if you have a smaller than normal, that section of your brain and it's used and you like this fires off in a traumatic event. And then when you're recalling it, your brain is like, holy fuck, you know, and uh, again, this is a field of science that is uh, relatively new. Maybe I'd say fringe science. Not fringe, but I guess it's I just, just like what I guess maybe it is fringe. Like, what do you call science that just isn't fully there yet? Like, we've only been dealing with PTSD since World War One, right? And back then they called it shell shock. I guess it's a way cooler name. <laughs> it's not the PC term. Yeah. Uh, now they do have they have developed psychedelic treatments for PTSD. We heard of this. Yes, yes. Actually, on my date, not with a dude. We discussed these things. Okay. Doing some microdosing? Yeah, some microdosing and psychedelic treatment actually helps open new pathways in the brain. And also some theorize that psychedelics could somehow be linked to consciousness itself. I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer, yeah? Mm, I don't really necessarily know that it is. A no-brainer. What does like 99% of the people that do LSD say they have an experience with. Like they see God or they go to another dimension. Yeah, but that what does that they have to do with? They see their true self. But so that you would align that with consciousness? I would, yeah. Oh, okay. Your true self, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Opens up your third eye. Opens up your whispering eye. Your whispering. But, you know, there's, again, there's so much that we don't know with memory. And I just think that memory itself is a fascinating topic because it's super personal. You know, our memories are what make us individuals. Um, However, there's a huge amount that is still to be discovered about how our brains have this seemingly limitless capacity for information. And until this is better understood... It would be difficult to tackle the memory problems. Now, again, getting back to religion, soul, spirit, with memory, like we said at the beginning, like your memories, that's your life experience, that's your own personality, that makes up who you are. Was this simply a way for religion to explain the soul and the spirit? Because you look at like, um, I thought this was super interesting, like Hinduism has like a lot to do with like this sort of, um, yeah, the uh, collective consciousness. Okay. Like Hinduism has a lot to do with that. They have like a lot of different stories that sim- like sort of remind me of that. And if you think about like the religion, the soul, like um, this is where we kind of see like the Philip K. Dick, like lines of religion blurring into like what we're studying now about the brain and shit like that. Like, are you guys making these connections at all? Or am I, am I just blowing smoke smoke up my ass here? I think that depends if you subscribe to the whole reincarnation. Cause that's a huge part of Buddhism too, isn't it? Rein- you get reincarnated until you finally get life right. Quote unquote. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like the differences in religion, like, 
what is the overall like because hinduism is kind of encompassing of all religions one of the oldest religions and maybe we do an episode because it's very fascinating a lot of their gods are like blue with six arms and shit possible ancient aliens but what i'm getting at here is like hinduism very um all-encompassing and it's very existential like you must meditate you must obtain uh like personal growth it's all like karma like you know don't worry don't worry about poor people they did that that's their karma they obviously deserve this reincarnation you're trying to get out of you're trying to reach like nirvana that type of shit next level yeah now we look at christianity what would you say is like the overall message of christianity you do good your soul goes to heaven and you suck you go to hell but it's also like your purpose is to what like help your neighbor like be good to other people Right. It's not as existential as Hinduism. Like Hinduism is all about like knowledge of self. They have many different gods. Whereas like Christianity is like, you got to swear your allegiance to this one God. You got to help your fellow man. And then boom, you're rewarded. Well, you also got to uh, repent for your sins. Otherwise, and that too. Yes, that too. And also like um, you look at like the development of Christianity where it's like you can point to like it started with Jesus being crucified and he spread the word and everybody should model their lives after him. Hinduism, you don't have that. It's so old that nobody can really point to like where it came from. It has enveloped other religions like it's accepting of all religions like they would accept like Christianity. There's there's many different sects. You know, and this was like, I was getting fascinated getting into all these different religions and how they developed and like morals and teachings of different religions. Um, But I did see a lot of like this memory stuff, collective consciousness. We're all one meditation memory. This all has a lot to do with Hinduism. Mm. Never thought of it like that, but yeah, it's very true. And um, I mean, even Buddhism is touching on some of those topics as well yeah and i mean hinduism has kind of enveloped buddhism that's know? true um but i mean what do we think in there in terms of religion soul any other thoughts on like that sort of shit memory i think religion is a fascinating topic i'd love to do an episode on that some great series some great research that would be um, a, a very long fucking episode yeah that could be a, like a three but we could break it down into parts and stuff i would yeah i think it'd be cool but uh, I mean, I've I've done a lot of research in religion. Like, there was a time in college where I really questioned my beliefs and stuff, and branched out and talked to a whole bunch of different people. And at the end of the day, it comes to me. It seems like it comes down to be a decent human being. Yeah, there's a couple variations and rules between, but for the most part, be an overall decent human being. Good things will happen to you, whether it's you physically, it's you spiritually, your soul, whatever. Lesson. So it's all lessons. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. A guideline. I think that also going off that, if you, if you do look inward and, you know, focus on yourself Mm. a little bit too, that helps you to be a better human being. I agree. I like that. Okay. So don't, you're, you're a a Hindu guy, you know, you're not, you're saying don't help these poor people. Don't, don't do charity. (laughs) No, you're putting words in my mouth. (laughs) I don't, I don't believe in charity personally. (laughs) I'm, I'm with s- these Hindu guys, dude. No, that's their karma. That's Whatever not, they did in a past life. Not what I'm saying. I'm saying 
if you focus on yourself and become a better person yourself and make sure that you have a good soul within you, then that's going to help you be be better to your neighbor, better to your family, that kind Mm. of thing. Putting out some positive vibes out there is going to help only help you become better Okay. And also help the people around you with those positive vibes. Okay. And, and feel? yeah. So uh, you would, so you're a religious man, teabag. Yes. Yeah. And you would say that you live your life by these religious principles of, of, uh, Christianity specific sect or, um, I think I just try to be an overall decent human being and do I mess up? Yeah, absolutely. But we all make mistakes. That's why pencils come with erasers, baby. Okay, yeah. So that would be like ghosting uh, after a threesome. That's probably not in the religious uh, teaching. <laughs> it might not be. <laughs> okay. It might be. Okay. Going on a Tinder um, date and then never talking the to the woman again. Probably uh, not the best. Don't slander me on the air. We've been friends for a long time. <laughs> Disgracing the holy matrimony of marriage. Please. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So this is what it gets to me like... Um, Wait, do you actually consider yourself to be Christian or no? Me? Both of you guys. Absolutely not, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm telling <laughs> you, I'm with these Hindu guys. You're a Hindu. Okay, a couple months ago, you were a Muslim. No, I'm not. I, I think I would love to do one I on don't know if we're allowed the to. Islamic faith. I think faith. we're infidels. Well, so what? We, we can still talk about it. I don't think we're allowed. Dude, remember when South Park did something like that? They got like death threats. <laughs> well, maybe we'll get death threats. That just means you're doing a good job. Yeah, they say any publicity <laughs> is is good publicity. <laughs> Wait, you didn't answer the question, T-Bag. Christian or no? He already said yeah. yes, Christian. Yeah. Guy went to fucking Liberty University and failed out. <laughs> Loosely based <laughs> Christian. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is being, let, let's round this one out because science... When we think I'm of science. science. Okay, yeah, you're a science guy. You're a Scientologist then? <laughs> no. Okay. Not, again, putting words in my mouth. <laughs> because what I'm saying is science. Isn't it all fringe if you think about it? Until everybody believes in it, yeah. Well, yeah, no. Exactly. I mean, have you guys heard of the replication crisis? Uh, no, that sounds like something from Terminator. No, this is actually, you would love this being a big like anti-vaxxer science guy. Well, again, putting words <laughs> in my mouth. <laughs> Just saying. Okay, so the replication crisis, look into this because I found it to be fascinating. So we got all these guys bashing Sheldrake's theory, right? Right. And we yes. got everybody bashing this stuff. And we know like science, it's, a, it's, a, it's like you were saying, Rob, it's a quasi-political world of I need to get this funding. I don't get this. We're not giving the funding to this guy because that's not real science. Like you said, it's a material world and they are material girls. Yes, these mechanistic material guys. Um, Now, I think we may have touched on this in our COVID episode, although I cannot be certain, but the replication crisis, the replication crisis. So this this comes out in like uh, the early 2010s. Uh, basically, it's been found that a large number of well-known studies in psychology in particular are far less supported than the claims of parapsychology. Uh, and it's basically like people are finding that these studies that are being put out and funded, it's like they're, they're being like put out as peer-reviewed, like this is absolutely factual science, and it's coming out that like this is impossible to replicate. 
And that's like one of the foundations of science is you do this experiment, you get the results, that proves your theory. Other people should, in theory, be able to do that same exact experiment, get the same exact results. We tracking? We tracking. And it's been found more recently that this is not the case. Someone claims to do it one time and then it's just accepted as fact in the scientific community just funded and it's peer reviewed and here we fucking go and this got me even digging deeper into the scientific method itself mm. earlier we talked about <laughs> circular logic right a a and b b and a yeah so yeah. Si- the scientific method you can't like and and let me know if you guys are tracking because this was actually kind of confusing for me. Um, but a lot of people, you know, this replication crisis stuff is coming out. And then I started looking into the, is the scientific method itself flawed? Because, you know, you can't use the scientific method to test the scientific method. That's like test, evaluate, hypothesis, all that mumble jumble. Yeah. And you can never really like be certain that these are like whole truths you know like science has a pretty good grasp on what it thinks are like you know as we said laws of nature this type of stuff but then as we we've accepted this for so long yes yes and a lot of and um what sheldrake i think talked about in one of his books i can't remember which one was a lot about as we said earlier science was for a long time based around religion the heliocentric guys you know they couldn't get anybody to believe about this they'd be like burned at the stake um But I guess like to wrap this whole thing up, it's like in all of this is the question of what standard of evidence should we expect for scientific claims in general? And the question has gotten more and more pressing in light of the replication crisis. You know, there is very much we still don't know regarding how memory is transmitted in nature. And even if morphic resonance doesn't hit the nail on the head, It could be pretty close to grasping at realities that we have not been able to accurately describe or understand. So what do we think in thoughts in like all of this stuff? Uh, You know, mainstream science, morphic resonance, ideas of memory, religion. uh, What do we got here? You know, do we buy this gentleman's, uh, this gentleman and scholar's theory on morphic resonance? Gentleman and scholar. I like the idea. Like, I mean, it sounds like this guy's trying to rehash old stuff. And as we get this new technology, why not go back and take a look at some things? Like, you don't have to give a guy a lobotomy anymore to study the brain, you know? You can take scans using new technology, new medical technology and advancements to do that kind of research to look back on things. So I say, why not rip off that Band-Aid, look at the wounds, if you will, yeah, give this man give this man a chance. Okay, so you're kind of just... Humor him. Yeah, you're on his side of like, hey, I just want to talk about it, you know? Let's hear... That's, isn't that what science is? Knowledge. We got to look at all angles here. We can't just like uh, uh, vilify this guy. Let's stop shitting on each other. Just because he wrote some crazy book about dogs that didn't sell many copies, <laughs> let's not vilify his <laughs> ideas, right? Well, we don't know how many copies is were sold. <laughs> that's so. true as well. Uh, it's but a baseless claim. How about you? What do you What do you think in here? You're a big energy uh, pseudoscience guy. <laughs> big pseudoscience guy. Uh, I I'm not sure that I would say I agree with it. I think it's an interesting theory, and it would be nice to see, as Adam said, more people actually look into the idea of this being 
something that is real rather than just shitting on it because their boss paid them X amount to be a mainstream guy. I will play a little bit of devil's advocate here on that because isn't it a double-edged sword? Like we could say like, hey, maybe I just want to talk about this stuff. Like maybe there is an inherent memory and everything in the universe, but would we be like, what if this stuff isn't proven right? And we've wasted all these brilliant minds trying to find this this answer. Could go both ways, right? Could. It could, but that's science, baby. That is science. It goes both ways, right? Once you get disproven, you're a bitch. <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah. Now, me personally, you know, I'm not gonna fully discount some of the theories we discussed. Uh, you know, and again, I'm not a scientist. Um, For the hundredth time. <laughs> now the, the, you know, these theories, they might be some of the way there, although at the same time, you know, anyone who claims to be able to prove and explain it with absolute certainty probably wouldn't believe, mm. you know, especially based on our current understanding of the brain and memory. And we're not talking about Cats the musical here either. But I mean, as far as like, uh, because a lot of this stuff and what I'm thinking is like, I absolutely subscribe to these ideas of like um collective consciousness the collective unconscious or whatever you you call it like and we talk about this a lot with john c Lilly and sensory deprivation like the, you know he tried to talk to dolphins and we're going to do an episode on that too because that fits right into this and dreams and all this stuff it's it's like wrapped up and it's almost like you know, you're on the cusp of a of a big breakthrough and all this stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's right there, it's right there, but you can't quite make the connection. Very fascinating, you know. The missing link. Yeah, you're going to come back next week when we're getting into like our John C. Lilly and our dreams episodes, and I'm going to have yarn all over here, you know. I, I got boxes of Pepe, Pepe Sylvia, Pepe Sylvia. You know, it's like Charlie <laughs> in here. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be connecting dreams and memory and all this type of stuff. So, you know, stay tuned for that. But absolutely, I'm saying, dude, there's got to be like different planes of consciousness, you know? And I was reading a lot. I've been reading a lot on the alien and UFO subreddits about this. Yeah, about this report that's coming out. And this uh, Lou Elizondo or whatever the gentleman's name is, you know, he worked for Tom DeLonge's company. Um Different planes of consciousness. I've looked up all this alien stuff. Uh, this report supposed to be coming out at the end of June. You know, the Pentagon UAP report. You guys been tracking this stuff? A lot of listener requests. So we're going to do like an alien update episode. But this Louis Elizondo gentleman or whatever was saying that possibly these aliens are uh, a different plane of consciousness. You know, and I mean, this is like Jacques Vallée, you know, they're coming from a different universe. This is not a new theory, but I think it is. And if if this morphic resonance stuff is true, then possibly these aliens are coming from like a different vibration. Like we talk about this a lot on our Mount Shasta episode. Yeah, but I think those are different things. Okay. Well, I'm saying I think they could possibly be connected. I agree, but I also, what I'm saying is I think the vibration planes versus the morphic resonance are completely different things. Okay, I and I get that. I'm saying <laughs> in the same realm, possibly. And we'll get to that a little bit later in the outline. <laughs> and we will hash this out in our alien update. What do we want to call that? Because I want to dive into this report that comes out from the Pentagon, maybe do an alien update, a UAP, a Pentagon report Pentagon episode. Pentagon report. 
Alien 2. Okay, and U- I mean UAOs. All right, well, what do we got? Let's let's round this one out. UAPs, we got to get the hell out of here. Um, we got a TLDL for this one, T-Bag. I mean, I know we really didn't come to a solid conclusion here. Maybe this is fringe. Maybe this will be future science. But what do we got for TLDL? TLDL is, are your thoughts and memories going into a uh, proverbial plane of existence that you can't touch or see? And everyone kind of learns their habits and their morals and everything that makes us human from this you know plane of existence that's beyond our grasp which is a habit itself Mm. Mm. this is like a roth ira of your memories and only your kids and your grandkids will have access to it okay that's a good analogy that's a privatized version (laughs) it's gonna cost you more all right when we all go robotic those files can only be accessed by family members. Your 401k is going to tank when AMC goes to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. You know, morphic resonance. I mean, look into this stuff. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, let me know what you guys come up with. And uh, let me cite a couple websites on this one. So check out sheldrake.org for all his theories into morphic resonance. He's got a lot of uh, papers on there. Uh, skeptic.com. That's some information. <laughs> skeptic. Yeah, that's D-I-C. Skeptic.com. That's Rob's new nickname on the podcast. Skeptic. Yeah, skeptic. <laughs> Uh, and we also got famousscientist.org, seven scientists whose ideas were rejected during their lifetimes, and the secularheretic.com, fields of being on morphic resonance, and scopeblog.stanford.edu for challenges in neuroscience, and thingswedontknow.com for, artic- for the article on memory. Uh, So check those out for more information or further readings. And on that, uh, we are out of here, guys. Um, Hopefully we'll see you sooner rather than later. Uh, Got another. We got some good episodes coming up. And like I said, we will get into a sort of sensory deprivation episode in the coming months, weeks, uh, possibly. Alien update. Yep. Alien updates coming up. And... um, on that one guys we are out of here as always hit us up podcast from outerspace.com you can grab the merch you can see a little bit about us you can check out our instagram slide in the dms podcast from outer space uh let us know if there's any upcoming episodes topics you want us to discuss what you liked what you didn't like uh maybe your thoughts on morphic resonance if you feel so obliged to do so and uh with that all right, first off, wanted to shout out my two brothers for taking time out of their busy day to have dinner with me the few hours I was in San Diego. Enjoyed seeing you two stiffs out there. As always, shout out to the folks over at Beale Racing. If you're allowed on YouTube, unlike Teabag, please be sure to follow them, check them out, give them a subscription, like some of their videos. If you're on TikTok, follow the homies Shelly Appleseed, my boy Jerry Bauer out there. Wanted to shout out all the fathers. I know we were going to record this before Father's Day. If you're listening, being a dad, no no discredit to moms out there, but being a dad, that's a tough job. So those of you out there doing it, you're killing it, you're doing it, you're rocking it. Thanks for being a dad. Shout out to my dad and my, my biological dad and, of course, Hal for being a dad to me. 
when my dad wasn't there. And on that note, so long and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> <laughs>